Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. Um, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to a couple people and acknowledge them. And, and one person in particular is uh, Clay Calera. I want to acknowledge him again for his Frisbeer co-op victory with Marco Chega Prate and Andrea Sarte. I, I'm just blown away that he is still in the mix and still relevant. And I mean, I don't even know how old he is. He's got to be. I mean, I know he's over 60, but, you know, it's just it's just amazing. And I guess another tribute to, you know, how disc sports and freestyle keep you young. Yeah, you know, it does seem like freestyle frisbee and disc sports are kind of like the fountain of youth. You know, I think it's something to do with just playing. We're always in this mindset of playing and having fun, and I think that's something that keeps you young. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, that's funny. I, I think Clay is really the epitome of play, and I kind of like that his name actually rhymes with play. Play, play. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good, good call out. Yeah. Well, if, you, if anyone out there wants to see their routine, it's up on Frisbee Guru. Just um, go to the categories, and you can look up Frisbeer 2018, and you'll see Clay winning Frisbeer. Yeah, and also if anybody wants to make a comment of like how old he actually is, that would be kind of cool to know too. Or maybe he doesn't want people to know. I don't know, but it's just amazing that he keeps chugging along. The other person that I wanted to give a shout out to, who I just saw recently, James Wiseman posted a video of this fellow who was visiting New York City recently, and that's Fabian Dinklage. I am blown away. I had no idea. Uh, how deep his game was. I mean, he's got some serious game. And uh, I like that James kind of gave him a nickname, or maybe it wasn't James, but Hightower, because he's really tall and lanky. But I just want to give a shout out to him and just recognize how great of a player he is. Yeah, he is a great player. And he's also very tall. There's a picture of me and him standing back to back, and he's taller than I am. There aren't many people that can say that. So that's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, he's also a super nice guy, and I didn't get really a chance to see him play too much at Frisbeer um, because he was doing uh, the volunteer judging. So he was really spending a lot of time judging. So thank him for that effort as well. Yeah, thanks, Fabian. That's anyone who volunteers to judge is amazing. It's uh, sometimes a thankless job. So thank you guys. So with that, why don't we get started with our episode? Uh, today we will be continuing our conversation with Joey Hudaklin. We're going to find out his thoughts about indoor routines and shorter routines. Let's listen. What is your opinion about competing indoors and competing outdoors? And I'm talking about competing, not jamming, but competing. Um, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, there's something about playing indoors that, that, that brings the energy in. Um, that you feel the people watching you the energy of the people watching you, it raises the intensity a little bit. Now, there's something about being from New York. Uh, I grew up in the beginning without any concern for any wind, really, because it was, it might be there, it might be there, it might, here or there, it might not be at all. And indoors, of course, there's no concern for the direction. So it really opens things up a lot. There's 
you know, when you have to turn into a certain direction to make your move work, it, it is, it can be stifling in a certain, in a certain, you have to play to that. It, it's also, it also opens things up in a different way, but competing, you know, I really like doing the around the world moves indoors. I mean, if I'm indoors, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the around the world. That's going to be, that's going to take up like a good 30, 40 seconds of the routine. And that's always, you know, crowd pleasing thing that I can do. So, you know, but otherwise it's just a matter of, you know, any direction kind of goes, you know, wherever the disc goes, you can move with it without having to worry about the angle. Indoors allows you not to worry about what is going to happen with the conditions and that you can kind of let loose a little more. And I'm talking competing, not jamming, so that you can really kind of take the risk factor up a few more notches instead of, just for lack of a better term, dumbing down your game when you get outdoors and execution is so big. Indoors, you can kind of go for it more without that worry of a gust taking it over your head or something like that. That's, that's very true. Um, you know, personally at this point, uh, I can do, uh, I can't really spin like I used to. So if there's a wind, if I feel a little breeze, I'm like, okay, this is my opportunity to spin, to extend myself easier, uh, with catches the better I can indoors. So it opens up a different part of my game in those different conditions. I guess my, my opinion is is that uh, there's two different kind of schools of thought. Like people are like, well, you got to go outdoors and you got to be able to adapt to the conditions. And I, I get that mentality, but we're talking about being judged in a certain structure. So there's if you're going to be judged about how you handle the elements, that's different than if you're going to be judged about what your skill set is, what the depth of your game is. So there's how do you adapt to the conditions and what is the depth of your game? Some people would say, well, we want to see both. And my opinion is that uh, I want to see the depth of people's games more than they handle the conditions. It's just my own personal yeah. thought. Uh-huh. I may not use the term depth of game because handling conditions is part of having a deep game. But I, I do that. agree. I do agree that you're going to see more players do more technical, difficult moves if they're indoors versus outdoors. And I think for, at least from an audience perspective, the game will look a lot more exciting indoors. All the events that I've been to where we ended up going indoors due to weather, the finals have been awesome. Yeah, and what made me say that is, Joey, you recalling that experience indoors in Colorado, and you said, like, the energy was electric, and everybody played great because everybody had the same conditions, and everybody was able to just let it rip. And so I like that. Yeah, you do have a point. All it, it does seem like uh, indoors uh, does capture the energy, and frequently that's yeah, it has been pretty spectacular. You know, this last last year's Worlds in, in New York uh, is a good example. That was the electric was in that really, building. It was, really was. Well, since we're on the topic of competitive scene, Joey, what do you think about shorter routines versus longer routines? You know. I've had the thought that that there should be some flexibility in the uh, length of routines. That if you want to go for three minutes, you should, might maybe that should be an option, up to five minutes, perhaps maybe a little bit longer. Even I don't know, but it just seems like there should be some flexibility depending on how well you're doing. I don't I don't want there. I don't think there should be like a gong or something like that. 
um, a lot of times in a, a routine, you'll around the three minute mark, you'll you'll go, wow, wow, this this is really concise, really perfect. And other times you you might say, well, wow, this at, at three and a half or at four minutes, like keep going. I I, I kind of feel like you know we have a a, a a game here which is so free and open to interpretation that why not open up the restrictions that we put on length the lengths of routines and I, I've also just to add on my own thought to to that competition in general I've recently started thinking about the nature of competition and how it pertains to what we do and it might be a good idea to have categories not in terms of men's pairs open threesomes mixed and women's but leave it all open to a categories of speed flow slash small disc and then a middle school maybe not old school but middle school a kind of game category and then a third category perhaps of spontaneity or, or and and or a fourth category of a new wave jamming or something like that i i just feel like there should be waves for the old school is really my motivation to sh- to have a place in the competitive scheme of things if you wanted to compete in an old school competition for instance you know it doesn't mean that you ban the delay or you ban nails or anything like that but smaller disc is encouraged perhaps recommended encouraged and the emphasis is on flight of disc meaning airtime of the disc and uh, maybe a middle school would be more of emphasis on flat gate and a newer school would be more emphasis on a mixture of flat some old school and also uh skid moves and and bring that whole newer genre in more into play and then maybe a spontaneous completely i really like the idea of sometimes it doesn't really work but pick the the hat thing you know you pick your partner out of the hat kind of thing i, I just feel like a, maybe competition needs to be uh, shaken up a little bit somehow uh, and incorporate different styles that way rather than keeping it pushing in one direction in one direction. I, I totally agree with you, Joey. And I, I just from doing this podcast with Jake, I think there's a real yearning for experimentation and trying things differently. But we have gotten so locked in to what it is and we don't know how to pull back out. And I, I don't know. I think that as the FPA is, as an organization, there's this sort of reluctance to change. And I think part of it is is getting consensus. And there's just no way to get 100% consensus. And it almost feels like that's the only way we can make a change. So it's it's a... Right. It's, it's a it's a it's a tough situation and, and but the thing is I know that desire for experimentation and let's mix it up is out there um, you know with that said experimentations I know you have this concept about the 24 second clock and what is that and when did you come up with that idea well it's actually Craig's idea Craig has his own you know he's a very 
particular character, and he has his ideas about, you know, he has these little phrases, like one of them is, skip the rim, Jim. Craig has pretty good delay control, actually, um, you know, with clock in his uh, right hand and a little bit on his left as well, but but he didn't wear nails, so he did not use much rim except to just set up an angle. So when he when players in a jam would, like, reach for the rim after an airbrush, he would go, skip the rim, Jim, use the cuff. And that was before a lot of people could really use the cuff very well. So skip the rim, Jim, was one of those phrases. And when we started playing a lot in the late 80s and early 90s, he, he would go, um, try not to go over the 24-second clock because we were watching a lot of basketball, uh, the Lakers at the time, and a uh, fast-paced game. Uh, we, were, we were playing a fast-paced game with the passing of the, the little disc. You know, if you held on to it too long, it was like, hey, man, 24-second clock, dude. Start it. You got to give it up. We got to start start a new new combo, you know. Uh, and another rule was the three-second violation, another basketball term, uh, whereas, you know, don't stand in one place, man, you know. Get out of that zone. Let's move around. Let's keep moving. 24-second and three-second violation was no-no. So was a 24-second rule about keeping it to yourself for 24 seconds or just ending any combo at 24 seconds? Well, it, it really, there wasn't a real timing on it, but just keeping it too long, just to suit the sensibilities of the moment. You know, okay, you had your time to seal it. You kept it going. 24 second violation. You know, you should have sealed that one. There was no reason to keep that one going. I'm, I'm standing here counting my watch, dude. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> seal it up, throw it back to me. And, I, and guess what? You know, you'll get it back soon. Don't worry about that, you know. In 24 seconds or less, yeah. it's coming back to you. Yeah. Yeah. And 24 seconds is probably too much, you know. It should probably be, a, you know, 15 seconds. But anyway, <laughs> it's just a, a cute little way of communicating. I'm envisioning yeah. an article on Frisbee Guru about these 24-second and 3-second violations now. Uh, <laughs> it's, good. It's, a, it's another concept, you know. It's a great concept. Well, you know, it's really kind of that being aware of who you're playing with. It's you're jamming with folks. And so be aware that they are involved with you. It's not like this solo experience. And that's why mob hopping is so awesome. And you can really get more out of mob hopping the more you are aware of who it is that's around you, what their skill set is. Um, like, is that a counter person or a clock person or, you know, giving them good sets. It's almost like being a point guard to use that basketball yeah concept yeah, and yeah. make everybody else shine once you make them shine it's amazing how much light comes and shines right back at you exactly yeah in, in co-oping with people i'll often uh you know use the, the left set like with clock again you know passing it my partners on the left side i'll you know pass it in front and cut and pass behind them i'm looking for them to hoop it sometimes they don't visualize that and, and they'll take it and i'll be like and then they'll and then they'll look to pass it after that and i'll be already out of the picture they'll go well didn't you want it back and i'm like yeah but i wanted you to let that go and i was going to give it right back to you and you know this is how the real fast case starts happening and, and the real excitement starts building yeah the give and go you got to do the hoop factory drill on your jam if you do the hoop factory drill you'll learn how to see the hoops <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking yeah. about, but I wrote an article no, about that. Okay. So basically the I'll drill is you can't catch it until it's been hooped three times. And so you get a jam with three or four people 
and you pass it and you don't catch it until you uh, pooped it enough times. And eventually yeah. things start to click. Pooping is now re- uh, a requirement then, you know, exactly. it's, it's like you got to look for it. Yeah. People have to move to the right spot in between. You got to get someone to move through the middle and uh, in, in anticipation of the pass. And then the person yeah. on the back end has to know that it's coming too. So, yeah. I like that. I like that, that you've got to have a mandatory three hoops so it gets people <laughs> focusing on what that is, you know, it's like, okay, so I can't just take it. Like if you ran behind somebody, they're like, oh, there's that hoop opportunity. And they'll be thinking about right. that forefront. Yeah. Cause you know, if you set it to, for someone to hoop, you're, and you're expecting it to be there. And if they take it, your move is gone. And you know, there's no reason to sit, stand there and wait. You may as well just keep weapon keep it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, know? well, then, no, 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 you, you do then, then you tackle them. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hoop, and so I'm tackling you. <laughs> uh, now I've seen that happen among a couple players that I won't mention. So, Joey, let's say you come across a new player and they're really trying to get better. What advice would you give them? I would say um, make sure you have the fundamentals. Make sure you know how to throw it straight without an air bounce. Make sure you learn the timing of, of speed of the speed flow because you know players learn how to delay it first and then never really learn the speed flow timing. It's a different thing because the air bounce throw is a much slower thing and the speed flow is a faster pace and you know waiting for the last till the last second to, to reach for your catch with a speed flow is, is imperative. A lot of times people who are inexperienced will reach early and the disc isn't there yet. You're waiting until the last second, you know, at the timing, it makes it work. But I, that's the, really what I always, always go back to is, is learn very, very basics of it because most players want to learn how to spin it on their finger right away, and they do. They skip the most basic of the game. And I think a lot of players would be well-served to go back and spend an entire, you know, summer, like, just doing speed flow. When you say speed flow, you mean like just throw and catch? Throw and catch, trick catches, trick throws, with a direct throw with no air bounce. So how do you think that would change someone's game? Well, I think it would change everybody. I think it would change the whole game in general and and how it appears to the public. People can relate to throwing and catching a lot more than they can the technical uh, moves that, that we all do and love so much. And you learn to track the flight of the disc by playing speed flow. I think I can see that missing from a lot of players who have skipped that process. They don't track the flight of the disc quite as well. They reach for it too early. They don't let the flight play out. They think that it's, if it's getting past them, they have to get it out of the air and control it. Because if it gets too far away, and it might drop. God forbid it might drop. The fact is, is that the disc has a way of slowing down and and play and hovering. If you if you follow it, it will come back to you, and you can do something much easier and much more without controlling it. And it's a life lesson as well. Uh, you know, frisbee freestyle pertains to life in general. We don't have control over the disc. The disc. Um, I try to base my game on letting the disc tell me what the next best option is depending on the flight 
and the amount of spin on the disc, I'll just, I'll make a decision on what the best option is. So if you just try to control it all the time by taking it out of the air, uh, you're essentially saying that you have a better option than what it can give you. And a lot of times that's true, but a lot of times it's not. Yeah, that's so interesting. I have that same concept of like I see somebody make a choice. I'm like, wow, it was right there to just do a bump brush, but they'll go ahead and get it in the rim right. and control it and then do control. almost the exact same bump brush that was already there for them right when they this came to them. <laughs> and I don't I realize that I just sort of that's ingrained in my soul now. So I don't even think about it. But it is yeah. that not taking what is there. And like, I mean, I grew up with light plastic and it was all about the throw and the flight and knowing how to make the disc not only do what you want to do, but allow it to tell you what to do. Yeah, you, you can make it a much easier game by employing the, that concept. You know, the less is more kind of thing. You, you don't have to work as hard when you visualize that, uh, letting the disc decide, make your decision on where to, what to do next based on the flight. Wow, that was fun to hear Joey talk about how uh, Frisbee is teaching him to go with the flow. I mean, it's just amazing to me how many life lessons that we get out of freestyle Frisbee. It's so much fun, but we also learn things like, you know, don't try to force it. Just go with the flow and go where life takes you. And I think, you know, we heard a lot from Joey. We've heard a lot from other people, too. And I know I've learned a lot of life lessons. So what do you think, Randy? Do you learn life lessons from frisbee oh without a doubt you don't really realize it until you reflect back on it but it really is it's like you know you let life come to you and the more you try to force something to go in a direction that it just doesn't want to the more often it just turns into trouble yeah well and it you can go really deep with that because the more you force the disc to go where you don't want to go the, the more spin you lose. You see, sometimes you can do it, but you kill the spin when you don't just go where it wants to go. So it's like, it's kind of like your life energy. The spin yeah. is your life energy. Yes, exactly. And unless you're benign and then you still have life energy, it's just different. Oh yeah. Well now you're adding life energy. Oh my goodness. There's oh. a whole nother philosophy that we can start pulling out of benigns <laughs> and airbrushes. Yes. Third world. Yes. Yes. So you don't have to be spinning to be alive, That's but true. you need to be round and flying. You still need to be flying. But are you flying if you're benign? I don't know. I'm just blithering now. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, hey, on that note, I just want to remind folks that Jammers, the Jammers, will be live streamed again. And I know that you're going to be there, Jake, kind of uh, overseeing that process. And thank you so much for kind of leading that and letting everybody enjoy the live stream with your efforts. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to being there. I'm really looking forward to live streaming it and sharing it with all of you. So thanks out there for watching. And uh, we love you guys. And on that note, I will talk to you next week, Jake. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbees.